Well, as most of you know, we are in a series right now on the book of Daniel, which I've titled Daniel Remaining Faithful in a Faithless Generation. And today we're actually finally going to head into chapter 2 of Daniel. And we're going to be talking about how to respond when life throws you a curveball, when life throws you something that's difficult, uh, a significant problem. And life is full of problems. We all know this. Um, There's health problems, there's financial problems, family problems, marriage problems, work problems, house problems. Um, And sometimes you have these, a mix of these all at once, which can be really overwhelming. And it just seems that no matter how easy and comfortable we try to make life, problems come. And sometimes we cause them, sometimes other people cause them, and they affect us. Sometimes we encounter problems simply because we live in a fallen, broken world. But they come. And some people, when problems come their way, they go into ignore mode, right? So some people take this approach to problems. And what they do is they downplay their problem. They believe that if, you know, hey, if I just tell myself it's going to be okay and it's really not that big of a deal, eventually the problem will go away. It's kind of that bury your head in the sand kind of approach to problems, right? Some people, when they encounter an issue, they, well, and let me tell you this, uh, the ignore mode, really what it leads to is bringing you to a place of false security, and that's a dangerous thing. So some other people, when they encounter problems, they go into worry, worry, worry mode, if I can say it <laughs> properly, and they start to worry incessantly. Like they, they just, it's the what ifs, right? The what ifs come into their mind, and it's what if this happens, and if that happens, what if this happens, and then if that happens, then what, what if... And it's just this cycle in, the, in their brain. And what happens is they really get lost, you know, kind of in their mind and they, they fear the worst. And this really, you know, worry mode leads to a place of despair. That's where it leads us. Some people, they respond to problems by going into analytical mode, right? They've got to figure it out. And their mind can't rest until they sort it all out. They look at the issue from varying angles. They look at, you know, multiple, you know, solutions. And it's just, I got to figure this out. I'm intelligent enough to figure this out. I'm smart enough. I'm discerning enough. I, I'm going to figure this out. And those people, just kind of similar to the worry people, they just get lost in their head, Right? And what ends up happening is analytical mode often leads to self-reliance. I've got to fix this. Some people, when they encounter a problem, they go into angry mode, right? So they get extremely frustrated and irritable. They often ruminate on the unfairness of the problem that they're facing. They often blame others for their problem in their anger. They treat others poorly. Angry mode often leads to a place of self-pity. So, ignore mode, worry mode, analytical mode, and angry mode. And these aren't the only ways that we tend to respond to problems, but I'm... 
my guess is they're some of the most common ways, and sometimes we're really a mix of a couple of these, right? And sometimes we vacillate between one mode, and then we go into another mode and kind of back and forth. And so I'm just curious, what mode do you have a natural tendency to go into when problems and difficulties come your way? What is it for you? Do we have any brave souls that are willing to say, I'm an ignore mode kind of person? I mean, uh, that's the, the mode I go into. I, I appreciate you, Judy. Way to be brave. <laughs> Jordan? Yeah, some people, that's just their way they, yay, you know? We're just going to kind of keep plugging along and then just really not face it. What about, do we have anybody who that's willing to admit that they more of go into worry mode? Boom, Leanne had her hand up before <laughs> I finished the question. All right, so we got the worry mode people. All right, what about analytical mode? This is me, right? I'm smart enough and intelligent enough. I can figure it out, right? All right. What about angry mode? Who just goes in straight into angry mode and nobody wants to be around you and you don't want to be around anybody? Nikki's face is red (laughs) as she's raising her hand and her husband's pointing at her. That will be a conversation uh, at lunch, <laughs> right? Yeah. So none of these modes really help us get to a solution, do they? None of them really help us overcome our problem. Instead, our problems tend to overcome us when we go into these modes. And so how are we to s- respond to life's difficulties? Well, I think that as we look at Daniel 2, we're going to get some answers. So let me pray. We'll look at Daniel 2 and see how he responded to not just a, you know, a big problem, but it was a life-threatening problem. Uh, So let's pray. Lord, uh, we often, in our sinfulness and our brokenness, often uh, approach problems in all the wrong ways. And we actually making a messy, we actually end up making a messy situation more of a mess. Lord, uh, we know that following you does not free us from problems. And sometimes it, it, it causes more problems to come our way because we have a target on our back. The enemy uh, knows we're on the opposing side, the winning side, and he doesn't like that. Lord, I pray that as we look at (coughs) your precious word in Daniel 2, that you might give us some wisdom on how we might respond to problems in a way that helps us to overcome them and brings glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's read Daniel 2, 1 through 30. So it's a lot of verses, but uh, I think it's worth it. So we're going to read them now. Daniel 2, verses 1 to 30. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream." Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm, 
If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash sheep. Not ash sheep, ash heap. (laughs) A sheep made out of ashes. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Sounds like a great guy. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, this is not a man, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secrets, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch when the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, "Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation." Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, "I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation." The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. 
And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your hearts. Boom. We're going to stop there. Um, so here we, we have in this passage, we, ha- we find King Nebuchadnezzar. He's greatly disturbed over this dream that he had in an attempt to understand what on earth was this dream all about and what does it mean. He, he calls on the wise men of Babylon because the wise men of Babylon were the sorcerers. They were the astrologers. They were the soothsayers, the enchanters, the, the magicians of the kingdom. And they were the ones who specialized in communicating to the Babylonian gods to get information from the Babylonian gods and to influence the Babylonian gods. They hoped to, especially when it came to things about the future. They even had resource books that helped them to determine, you know, what the gods were saying through things like, you know, the weather, the the flight path of birds, the constellation of stars, they even, I was going to go into this a little bit more, but they even looked at sheep livers, um, and they looked at different sections of a sheep liver that they sacrificed to one of their gods, and depending on the, the appearance of the sheep liver and different quadrants of it, that would mean different things from the gods. I mean, we actually have um, clay sheep liver tablets that date back uh, to this time that they would train people like Daniel to use. And, and those tablets were called the tablets of the gods because it was supposed to give them information. But they also specialized in dreams and in dream interpretation. And so that's why Nebuchadnezzar has gone to the wise men. He needs to know what this dream that's troubling him, you know, means. And this is how the dream interpretation protocol went. You tell the person, or the person that had the dream, they tell the wise men what the dream is, and then the wise men offer their interpretation. It never went, hey, wise men, tell me what my dream was, and then also tell me the interpretation. It never went that way. And even the the, the wise men say that in our passage. This isn't how it's supposed to go, King Nebuchadnezzar. But King Nebuchadnezzar Probably one of the most powerful, one of the top 20 most powerful people in all of history was Nebuchadnezzar. That's how powerful this guy was. He demands both. He he says, hey, no, you need to tell me my dream and you need to tell me the interpretation or I will kill you. And, of course, there's no way that these, you know, dream uh, interpreters, these wise men, are able to give King Nebuchadnezzar what his his dream was. And you can see why King Neb was doing this, because he figured, hey, if they can tell me what my dream was, then they must be in touch with the gods, and then their interpretation will be credible as well. I can trust it. They couldn't do it, and so King Nebuchadnezzar, he starts killing people. He starts killing the wise men, right? And Daniel, although he wasn't a part of that group that was directly talking to the king about this, he was one of the wise men. And so Daniel and his buddies were factored into who would be killed. And Arioch, the king's guard, who is in charge of the execution of these wise men, gets to Daniel's place 
and he's ready to take Daniel to kill him. And this is where Daniel finds out what's going on. And Daniel asks, you know, Ariok, like, why is King Nebuchadnezzar in such a hurry? Why is this matter so urgent? And King, uh, or uh, Daniel says to Ariok, he says, hey, take me to the king. I will tell him what his dream was about and provide him with an interpretation. And what's amazing is that Ariok agrees to this. And when Daniel goes to the king, when he goes to King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar uh, grants him that request of time to figure out what this dream was and what it meant. And so, you know, this tells me that they must have had a pretty decent amount of respect for Daniel by this point to even allow this to happen. So Daniel, he's confronted with a problem that is a huge problem, bigger than any problem we will probably ever encounter, Lord willing, hopefully. And this is not just a huge problem, but it's a life-threatening problem. And so what is Daniel going to do? You know, does he go into ignore mode and just kind of, you know, this is overwhelming. I'm just going to just live life and pretend this doesn't exist. Is he going to go into, is he going to go into um, worry mode and just, oh my goodness, what if, what if, what if, what if, and just be led to despair? Is he going to go into, you know, analytical mode, like, I've got to figure this all out. I've got to figure this out. I've got to use my intellect and my resources to come up with a solution. Is he going to go into the, the anger mode where he's just ticked off at everybody and shakes his fist at King Nebuchadnezzar and shakes his fist at God and just is, has all this self-pity, this is unfair, No, he doesn't choose any of these modes. The mode that Daniel chooses, and I couldn't come up with a better term to describe it, is God mode. So we're going to look at what God mode is, the components of it that we see here in Daniel 2. So what does God mode consist of that Daniel goes into? It consists of seeking out a band of brothers. It consists of bending in prayer. It consists of giving praise, and it consists of showing concern for God's glory. So seeking out a band of brothers, bending in prayer, giving praise, showing concern for God's glory. So let's look at the first one, seeking out a band of brothers. When problems arise, we must seek out a band of brothers. So in Daniel 2, verses 17 and 18, we read this. Then Daniel went to his house made the decision known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions. I think this is interesting. So King Nebuchadnezzar grants Daniel his request, time to figure out what this dream was and what the interpretation should be, what it means. And so what does Daniel do? Right away he goes and he prays. Nope, he doesn't do that. He goes and he finds his buddies. He goes and he finds his friends because he knew that this burden that he was carrying was too immense for him to carry on his shoulders alone. He knew, Daniel knew he didn't have all the answers. Daniel knew and and was aware of the fact that he could benefit from the help of his friends. 
You know, Daniel, he was cognizant of the fact that sometimes God speaks to us indirectly through his people. Daniel, Daniel, he acknowledged that seeking God, seeking God's heart, his will, his, his mercy, his revelation individually was important. But there was something to be said about seeking God's will with other God-centered people. You know, with more hearts attuned to God, the greater the chance that these men were going to hear from God, right? You know, when major problems come our way, and if we go into ignore mode, you don't get the help you need because you're just ignoring the problem, and so you're not... You just, you just remain alone in your problem. If, if you go into worry or analytical mode, what you do is you tend, you, t- you, turn to ten, uh, you tend to turn inward. And so you kind of seclude yourself from other people and you're not getting help that way. When you go into angry mode and you're mad at the world, you don't want to be around other people and other people don't want to be around you. And so you're isolated as well. And that's what these approaches do. They isolate us. They turn us inward instead of turning us outward and upward, and that is a problem. And the result is that our problems just tend to grow bigger. And so when trouble comes our way, it is so important that we are willing to reach out to other Christians that can help us, whether it's a life group, whether it's you know, some friends, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a counselor. But fighting, we tend to fight life's battles alone, and when we do that, it leaves us feeling overwhelmed, it leaves us feeling exhausted, it leaves us feeling defeated. Daniel reached out for help. Will you reach out for help? Are you going to reach out for help? And you know what? The enemy doesn't want you to, so expect him to stop you from, or not to stop you, but to try and stop you from doing so. He wants to keep you isolated. He wants to make you believe that you've got this, that it'll all work out. It's just, it'll all work out. He wants to get you to a place where you're figuring it all out in your mind. He wants you uh, to think that if you ask for help, people are going to think poorly of you then. And so I better not ask for help and really show my vulnerability here because people are going to think less of me, so I better not. I better protect myself. He's going to want to make you believe that if you ask people for help, that they're gonna, it's going to put them out and it's, they're going to get annoyed with you, so you better not ask for help. These are all lies that Satan will try and tell you so that you do not reach out for help. Ask for help. How else did Daniel approach his life-threatening circumstance? What else did God mode look like for Daniel? He, he, he bend, he bended, he bent. I always get, I struggle with verb tenses. In prayer. Daniel 2, 17 and 18 says this. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions. That they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Once Daniel did find his friends, they did pray. Daniel's his knee-jerk reaction to an extremely life extremely uh, you know, difficult, extreme difficulty in his life was to find his friends and, and then they prayed. Is that your knee-jerk reaction? 
It wasn't get a band of brothers and devise a plan. It wasn't, you know, go get his friends and come up with a strategy to, to, to trick King Nebuchadnezzar or to run away and escape from King Nebuchadnezzar or some strategy to buy more time. Their life was hanging in the balance and they prayed. You know what? We all know that prayer is important, don't we? We would all say that. Intellectually, we agree with that. But we often struggle to make time for it. Dan, for Daniel, it was essential. In fact, if you read Daniel 6, it tells us that Daniel prayed on his knees three times a day. That's how essential it was to Daniel. And this was a practice that Daniel 6 tells us he had engaged in from the time that he was little. Why was prayer so essential to Daniel? Why was this so important for him? The reason it was so important for Daniel is because of who God was, because of who he was praying to. You see, Daniel knew that God was merciful, that he was all-powerful and all-knowing, first merciful. Daniel believed that God knew him, cared about him, loved him, and wanted to help him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about God? He believed that God was a good father who delighted in meeting his needs. He believed that, you know, what Jesus, he believed what Jesus taught long before Jesus taught it. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In the problems of life, do you believe that God wants to meet your needs? that he desires to do that, that he takes great joy in that. Daniel also believed that God was all-knowing, which meant that God didn't just desire to meet Daniel's needs, but knew exactly what Daniel needed when he needed it as well. Daniel needed to know the king's dream. Daniel knew that God in his infinite wisdom knew what the king's dream was and could reveal it to him, and he was right. In verse 22, Daniel says that God is able to reveal deep and secret things and that he even knows what is in the darkness. In the problems of life, do you believe that God knows exactly what you need and that his wisdom is unsurpassed and that he can reveal that supernatural, know-everything kind of wisdom to you? Not only did uh, Daniel believe that God was merciful and all-knowing, but he also believed that he was all-powerful. That God, in his mercy, didn't just care deeply about Daniel, and, and, and in his wisdom didn't just know what Daniel needed exactly, but also that God was powerful enough to actually then make, give Daniel what he needed. In terms of God's might... Daniel declared in verse 21 that God removes kings and raises up kings. What did Daniel need? Daniel needed God to stop King Nebuchadnezzar's murderous plan. In the problems of life, do you believe that God has the power to give you what you need? Do you believe that? 
in light, if we think about who God is, and for Daniel, in light of who God is, was and is, prayerlessness was extreme foolishness in his mind. And I think if we really consider who God is, we will see that prayerlessness in our lives is extreme foolishness as well. And even more so when we consider the promise that Jesus made in Matthew 7, 8, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Do you hear what Jesus is saying in this verse? Everyone who comes and asks receives. But the person who comes and asks is the one who receives, right? There's a condition. Everyone who asks receives. This means our choice whether or not to ask God for what we need determines on some level what we receive then from God. Some of God's blessings only come when we ask. Our prayers matter. And that's why James wrote, and in James chapter 4, he wrote this in verse 2 of chapter 4, you do not have because you do not ask. And, and, and here's the thing. When we do ask God, we never have to worry that we're going to walk away empty-handed. Every child of God who comes to God and asks them or asks him for what they need receives. If they seek, they find. If they knock, the door is answered. Why would we not go to God in prayer, asking him for the things we need when we're guaranteed to receive? Especially knowing that prayerlessness will cause us to miss out on some of God's gifts and blessings. This is what uh, pastor and author John Piper writes about this wonderful promise here in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. He writes this, When you pause to consider that God is infinitely strong, and can do all that he pleases, and that he is infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right, and that he is infinitely good so that everything he does is perfectly good, and that he is infinitely wise so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good, and that he is infinitely loving so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as high as it can be raised. When you pause to consider this, then the lavish invitations of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful. Which means that one of the great short-term tragedies in the church is how little inclination we have to pray. The greatest invitation in the world is extended to us. And the greatest invitation in the world is extended to us. And incomprehensibly, we regularly turn away to other things. It's as though God sent us an invitation to the greatest banquet that ever was, and we sent word back, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it, or I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go to examine them, or I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. He goes on to say this, Oh, how much blessing we forfeit because we do not ask and seek and knock. Blessing, blessings for ourselves, our families, our church, our nation, our world. Now, you may be wondering if God always gives good gifts to his children when they come and ask, does this mean that I can ask God whatever, you know, to give me whatever I want and he'll give it to me? You know, is God a cosmic genie? And the key to recognizing uh, and understanding this, this promise is to recognize a word that's in there. The father only gives good gifts because he is a good father. And so many times we don't receive what we ask for 
because it is not a good gift for us. And so if we ask for something and don't receive it, then that's not the best for us. He's a good father who only gives good gifts. So that means when we ask God for something, he will either give us what we ask for or he will give us something better. That's an amazing promise. Like Daniel, when, when problems come your way, do you respond with prayer? If not, could it be that deep in your heart you really don't believe God is merciful, all-powerful, and all-knowing? What else did God mode consist of for Daniel? Giving praise. God did give Daniel King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and told him what it meant. And Daniel's response, check out his response. It wasn't to go rush and tell his buddies what he had learned. It wasn't to go hightail it to King Nebuchadnezzar and tell the king what his dream was and give him the interpretation. Even though this was time-sensitive, you know, material. What does Daniel do? He stops and he praises God. I don't think that would have been my response. I would be getting to King Nebuchadnezzar as fast as I possibly could. Not Daniel. He was operating in God mode. He worships, he worships God for his wisdom. He worships God for his power, his mercy, and his sovereignty. Check out his words in Daniel 2, 20 and through 23. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Author Sinclair Ferguson, he explains, and I love this, that the quality of our faith is not just revealed, you know, when we're presented with a difficult problem and what our response and how we react to that, you know. But our faith is also revealed, the quality of our faith, when God answers our prayers and the problem is solved. What do we do? Do we respond in just heartfelt praise to God? Or do we go on with life barely giving God a thank you? This is exactly how Ferguson writes about this regarding Daniel. His God-centered reaction to the impending catastrophe is, much, is matched by his God-centered response when the catastrophe is averted. It is not always so. The test of our spirituality does not lie only in the fervency of our prayers in time of crisis, but in the wholeheartedness of our worship when God acts in grace. Relief unaccompanied by worship is never an adequate response to the mercies of God. When presented, presented with the life-threatening problem, Daniel went into God mode, which consisted of seeking help from a band of brothers, prayer and praise, and fourthly and finally, he had such a concern for God's glory. When you and I encounter major life problems, we most often become very self-absorbed, don't we? The world just tends to then revolve around us. 
We can't think beyond ourselves. We're hurting. We're in pain. We're suffering. We're just trying to stay afloat. And so we really do become very self-absorbed. And part of what I find so impressive about Daniel's response to this life-threatening problem that he faced is his concern for God's glory in all of it. He wanted God to be well thought of. He wanted people to know how great his God was. He wanted people to think rightly about God so that they could be drawn to him and experience his amazing grace. Daniel wasn't completely self-absorbed when Daniel received Wisdom from God regarding the king's dream. Look at how Daniel talks about that. He could have easily taken credit for it. He could have said to King Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? I figured this all out. I've got your interpretation. I can tell you what your dream is, you know, in hopes that King Neb would elevate him in the kingdom. But Daniel doesn't do this. Even though this is what Arioch did. The king's uh, guard, the captain of the king's guard, Arioch, this is what Daniel, or Arioch said to the king in Daniel 2.25. I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. You hear what Arioch is saying? He's like, I have found this man. Daniel came to him. Arioch didn't find Daniel. Daniel went to him. Telling him that he could figure out the interpretation. Now contrast Arioch's words to the king with Daniel's in verses 27 through 30. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise man, the 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 astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. And so Daniel is all concerned about God's glory, about God getting the credit, about people thinking uh, high thoughts about God and not himself. In the midst of... Of his problem, Daniel went into God mode. And I ask you, in your problems, in your difficulties, is is God's glory a concern for you? Is that something you're focused on, that God would get glory through the difficulty? And so I encourage you that you may be in a very serious predicament right now. You may be encountering one of life's valleys. You may be experiencing a major challenge. I encourage you to resist the modes we talked about at the beginning and to go into God mode. May you be a person that finds a band of brothers, that goes to God in prayer, that goes to God in praise, and may you seek God's glory through your difficulty. Let's pray. Lord, we want to honor you the way that Daniel did. And so often we don't. So often we fail to respond in ways that show that we trust you, that show that we know that you care about us, that show that we need other people because that's how you've wired us. 
and that sh- really have a concern for, for your glory. We, we, we often lack that. We, we aren't Daniels. Lord, I am so thankful for your mercy and your grace that even though when we fall short in many ways in our responses to the difficulties that come our way that are really faithless, that you still love us and you desire to, to love us through those times of doubt and uncertainty and our lack of faith. Lord, thank, uh, we're thankful that you love us just the way we are, but you love us too much to let us stay the way we are and that you want to form us into people like Daniel that uh, go into God mode. And Lord, I think the key for Daniel was that he didn't switch back and forth from God mode on to God mode off, that he lived in God mode all the time, that he got his anchor in the right foundation when the, the sea was calm and quiet so that when the storms came, he was already rooted and grounded in you. Lord, may we be those kind of people. If we're here today and, and life's going pretty well for us, may we make sure that we are operating in God mode even though there isn't a difficulty so that we're not grasping for some solid ground when the next life difficulty comes. And Lord, for us that are in the midst of a, of a problem right now, Lord, I pray that we would cling to you in these ways and trust that you will see us through, that uh, stillness in the, in the waves is to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.